I remember for the first 12 years of my life, my mom had me convinced that the only way to eat steak was well done. <laughs> she was. That's just well done steak. That's how you ate steak. Dad would always get him medium, medium, medium rare. Well done. So mom would order my steak for me. This you need to do well done. And I remember as a kid, always having to get Worcestershire sauce. And I'd have to like put in a little bowl right next to the steak. And I'd cut, you know, it's like leather, right? You have to cut the steak. You have to soak every little piece in Worcestershire sauce. And that's just so, I just assumed steak always tasted like Worcestershire sauce. Because that's because you couldn't eat it otherwise. It was so dry. But I can, I remember when I was 12 years old, Dad, at the Golden Corral. That's back before the Golden Corral was what it is today. But it was a, it was a Golden Corral. And I remember at 12 years old, my dad taught me in the train a bite of his medium, medium rare steak. I still remember. And I took one bite, and heaven came down, <laughs> and glory filled my soul. And I looked at my mom, and I remember thinking, what have you done to me for 12 long years? I have been, I have been in the desert of, of, of well-done leathery steaks. And when I took a bite of, of, that, of that medium, medium rare steak, it didn't need Worcestershire sauce, right? It didn't need anything. Because that blood was delicious. I mean, it was. I ate the, it, was just, it was just delicious. And I realized, because I, Dad had wanted me for so long to at least try it, you know, I can tell you what I want for all of all the folks that know God is to really experience the Holy Spirit. So many of us in our relationship with God have only been eating dry steak for so long. We're having to soak it in Worcestershire sauce. And God is like, oh, there's just so much more. Just try it. You know, just try it. Experience me. There's a difference in just having it in our head versus experiencing God in our heart. People will never come to Jesus through their head. They come through their heart. That's how it works. It's a, it's a relationship, not a, not a mathematical equation. It's an, it's an experience. Last Wednesday we took some time, because it is important to give the mind something to lock into. God gave us a mind for a reason. We, need to, we have a mind for a purpose. You have to have something to hook into with your mind. It has to make sense. It has to be correct. It has to be theologically and, and hermeneutically and everything. It has to be right. I get that. But you'll never experience Jesus through your head. You experience Jesus through your heart and through relationship with Him. So tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the, the experience of knowing the Holy Spirit and being, being filled with Him. Because the feelings continue. I don't want to go back and share what we talked about last week. You can listen to that because it's, it's important. It sort of lays the foundation. So that is the presupposition for everything we're going to move into tonight and, and talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I had a recent conversation with someone, and um, a very authentic person, genuine person, they came up to me and, and, they, and they asked, listen, I... I, I talked to someone, and, and they made a strong biblical case for cessationism, that all the, the gifts of the Spirit in this experience was offered back then. And they made a strong biblical case, and I'm a little confused. I, I, I hear what you know, you're saying, and you're also making a strong biblical case, and I don't know who to believe. So my response, so who are you going to choose to believe? Are you going to trust the guy who makes a biblical case for something with no experience? Are you going to choose the guy who makes a biblical case for an experience who has the experience? Which way does the scales tip, you think? Right? Yeah, they make a biblical case. We make a biblical case with the experience that also lends to the credibility of the biblical case. At the end of the day, each of us have to choose what we're going to believe. And then we have to pursue that with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. While I was going to college, I was a waiter at a restaurant. I don't recommend the restaurant business for anybody. It's a very difficult business. And, and after working there for six months, the allure of management was dangled in front of me. Um, big mistake. So they um, promoted me to management. I immediately lost about 60% of my income from tips and stuff. But I was a manager, by goodness. But I liked the job, and there was a particular lady who worked for me there and um, she would always she was she was a Christian but she would always make fun of 
Pentecostal charismatic people. She would just mock them and make fun of them and all this stuff. And, um, and you know, so, but she knew me to be a credible, authentic Christian. We had worked together for about a year and a half. And so she uh, finally one day, I just had all I could, you know, I felt like a Popeye. I've had all I can stands, I can stands no more, you know. And so she's making some off the cuff comment about crazy Pentecostals and charismatics. And I looked at her and I said, her name was um, Linda, I think it was. I said, Linda, you know what? I am one. She looked at me like a deer in the headlights look. She just did, just like, oh, and this, is, this was her word. She said, oh, I've never met one of you before. <laughs> I mean, I want to give my autograph for a minute. I've, I've, never, I've never met one of you before. Her whole worldview just collided in a moment because, remember, she knew me to be a genuine, authentic Christian, yet I just was the very person she was making fun of. Isn't it interesting? I've never met one of you before. Oh, the danger of ignorance. And you see so much disunity in the body of Christ, don't we? It exists everywhere, and, I, and, I, and it breaks my heart every time I see it. Oh, how we need unity, but the unity can only come through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the what? The Spirit in the bond of peace. The only person that's going to bring unity to the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So unless the body of Christ acknowledges the work of the Holy Spirit more and more, we're never going to have unity because unity only comes through the Spirit, doesn't it? And if we don't acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit, there can never be unity. Now let me take a moment to to address something important. Who wants unity in the body of Christ? Yeah, we, we, we want you. We're all on the same team, aren't we? But not unity at the expense of the gospel. So I oftentimes share people, I mean, how do you know who to unite with and who to partner with? Different churches and different Christians. Um, I have a little litmus test that I use that might work for you guys. So I can partner with anybody, right? If they meet these three criteria, number one, they hold fast to Orthodox Christianity, the basic tenets of salvation, Jesus, that stuff, just Orthodox, historic Christianity. Number two, they hold fast to the biblical standards of righteousness. Sin is sin. Number three, is it bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Those three things. If any church out there can sign off on those three things, guess what? I will lock shields and go to battle with every single one of them. Three things. Ice cream is made up of milk, eggs, and sugar. But yet Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. (laughs) But it's all ice cream, right? We can celebrate differences. We can celebrate different flavors. I may prefer Neapolitan. Renee may prefer extreme moose tracks. That's cool. Right? We're going to gravitate toward our particular flavors. But ice cream is only ice cream if it has milk, eggs, and sugar. We can unite within the body of Christ if it meets those three tests. We're going to hold fast to salvation, what it means. We're going to hold fast to biblical standards of righteousness, and we're going to compromise that. Number three, is it bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Then we begin to partner by the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit is the one who does these things. We must have this move of the Spirit. Now, last week we talked about the three different baptisms. So we're going to focus tonight on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me illustrate to you this way. The the first two baptisms, as you recall, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into salvation. We saw that. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in the first baptism unto salvation. At that moment in time, every believer receives the Holy Spirit, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then comes water baptism, the symbolic outward sign of the inward work. At that moment in time, Jesus has become your Savior, hasn't He? Do you know what the third baptism does? The third baptism really moves Jesus from just being your Savior to being your Lord. To way to illustrate it. Many of us stay in a relationship with Christ as only our Savior. Is that enough? He's not just our Savior. He's also our Lord, isn't He? I think it was Bob... Weiner that once said that if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. In other words, he seeks to be Lord of everything in you. He's not going to be 
content just to be your Savior. He desires to be your Lord. And part of this movement of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives is continuing to come up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now today we're going to focus on this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 17. And I want you to hang with us tonight as we run through some things and again lay some um, foundational things I think are important for our understanding. Again, let me set aside a disclaimer for all of us, right? We're not getting bogged down in semantics. Remember last time? Let's not get bogged down in semantics. Let's catch the heart of what the Lord wants to do in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus desires to baptize us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And if you look at the verb context there, present active indicative, like you would add an ing to the verb, be ye being filled. This ongoing experience, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we have this admonition to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to ask per se, but to actually do it. It is a Mandate. Paul was saying, this is something you need to do. Be about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk a little bit tonight about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now people were filled with the Spirit prior to the day of Pentecost. This is really not what Paul has in mind in this passage, but it's important for us to look at this because it was not just a new thing going on. This had been going on before in isolated cases. You can look back in the Old Testament and we find several examples that when the Spirit of God would come upon an Old Testament character to accomplish a specific purpose. I'm just going to cite one for you tonight. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 2. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So we see an example, and there are many examples through the Old Testament where the, where the Spirit of God is filling and coming upon certain individuals to be used in some extraordinary and unique ways. There are many of these examples throughout, but we're not going to take time and look at all tonight. You can check that out on your own. So it's going on intermittently. Then we have the intertestamental period for 400 years between the closing of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew. 400 years pass, but then we get into the New Testament, the, the coming of Christ. And we see some also examples in the New Testament prior to Pentecost in Acts 2 of people experiencing being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the first ones we see, remember Elizabeth? She was pregnant with John the Baptist. And she gets in the presence of who? Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus. And what happens to Elizabeth? She is filled with the Spirit as John the Baptist in the womb leaps. Must have been kind of uncomfortable, right? He leapt in the womb, and it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You can check that out in Luke chapter 1. Also, remember Zacharias? Remember him? He got into a little trouble and was made mute and couldn't speak. But he got something right. And what happened to him when, when the Spirit of God gave him his voice back? Again, in Luke 1, it says, He was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. Now, you're going to see this a lot throughout Scripture, that when we are filled with the Spirit, there's a vocal connection to that filling. Almost always we see some form of vocal connection. They prophesied. They spoke in tongues. They preached the Word boldly. There was something about the filling of the Spirit that had a direct connection with the mouth. It's undeniable. Just kind of make a mental note of that. Now we see this again after Jesus was born when it came time for Mary's ritual cleansing ceremony. She went to the temple and were introduced to two people. Remember? Simeon 
Simeon says he was filled with the Spirit and prophesied over the baby. There was an old woman who was continually in the temple by the name of Anna. It says she also was filled with the Spirit as well. So there's a whole lot of filling going on, right? People are being filled with the Spirit, but God is fixing to do something, not just in an isolated few cases, but is fixing to be amplified dramatically on the day of Pentecost. After the day of Pentecost, the Comforter had come, and all believers at that moment in time were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing there, when you see in Acts chapter 2, all 120 believers were gathered, remember, waiting for the promise, and did any one of them get left out? They all got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read that passage, there's a couple of interesting things that happened that tongues of fire rested on each of them. On each of them. Now, can you think for a second, just get in your mind, that must have been kind of odd looking, wasn't it? it? They were sitting down, and the Holy Spirit came, and tongues of fire rested on each of their heads. Now, I just kind of get that in my mind for a second. That's just odd. Now, there were probably no mirrors in the room, right? So the only other tongues they were able to see was which ones? The ones on somebody else. They weren't able to see their own tongue on their head, but they were able to see the other one. It probably stayed right on their head, so every time they looked back, it probably moved with them. You know, so they just really couldn't, they, you know, really couldn't see, but their experience was being validated by everyone else experiencing the exact same thing. But as far as personally, they had to accept by faith that was happening to them because they couldn't see their own. They could only see what was going on around them. See, that's really important. You know, God likes to do it amongst all of His people, not just a few chosen people. He showed us that. It's also cool to me that it happened while they were sitting down. Sometimes Pentecostal charismatic folks say you got to like amp it up a little bit. Maybe you got to run or dance or fall on the floor. Or you need 80 people squeezing you or pushing you down. They were just sitting down, just sitting down. And the Lord moved on them dramatically. I just think that's fascinating. And it wasn't only for that 120. There'd be some that might have you believe, oh, it was just for those. But we find out as Peter begins to preach later on, and they begin to ask him, what must we do? And he begins to tell them, you got to repent, you got to be baptized, and you got to be filled with the Spirit. And this is not only for you, but for your children and for all those who are far off. In other words, this experience was not just limited to 120 people, but this is for everyone now. The invitation, the door just swung wide open to all of those who would come to Christ. And we see this, and we saw this last time throughout the book of Acts, that it was important that everyone who was coming to faith in Jesus, it was important to the apostles that they were also filled with the Spirit quickly, not some long gap in between, to experience this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we spent some time on that last time. Remember earlier we made the distinction between being baptized with the Holy Spirit versus being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being baptized with unto salvation, being baptized in, into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus does this for us. Now I want you to remember something. If you don't remember anything else, there's no formula for the Holy Spirit. There's no formula. Oh, we like formulas. We like math. We like to figure things out. We, like, we are Greco-Roman people, man. We like to categorize. We like to file. We like our scientific method. We like, our, we like it all nice and neat and organized. But it just doesn't work that way. You know how I know that? Because my wife did not come with a formula. It didn't. I don't have a, I don't have a formula that I can just do that's going to make her happy and content. I wish she came with a formula. If I do this every time, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. If I do this squared plus this squared, it's going to be happy wife. Happy wife, happy life. So, duh, 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 happy wife, happy life. It doesn't work that way, doesn't it? We're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this uh, quote. It's, it's on your piece of paper by um, Dr. Martin Lloyd. He says this, The way to approach this, it seems to me, is to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not just an influence. So many seem to talk about being filled with the Spirit as if the Holy Spirit were some kind of liquid. They talk about having an empty vessel, an empty jug, and having the Spirit poured in. That is entirely wrong because it forgets that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
He is not a substance. He's not a liquid, not a power like electricity. We all tend to fall into this error. We even tend to refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Forgetting the Holy Spirit is the third person in the blessed Holy Trinity, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Don't we do that? That's why I encourage this early on, don't get lost in semantics. We can't reduce the Holy Spirit to a power source or liquid. Am I filled? Am I overflowing? No, He's not a liquid. He's an actual person that we're in relationship with. That He comes to dwell inside of us at the moment of salvation. And I will say it again, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And He doesn't want to leave you alone. We do not lose the Holy Spirit in us, nor do we get more of Him. Being filled simply means He gets more of us. That's, you just got to get that. Because sometimes our friends on the other side of the aisle want to trip us up in that a little bit. Well, you've already got though. How can you get more of them? No, it's not that we're getting more of the Holy Spirit. You've already got all you're going to get. The Holy Spirit doesn't come out and he's, he's, he's not a pie and you only got a couple of slices and you're going back to the table for another slice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's not schizophrenic and fragmented. He is an entirety and he is within you. But he doesn't have all of you yet. When I come and visit your house, you invite me into your living room, but you probably haven't given me permission to go into all the rooms and just check things out. Now, if you leave me alone very long in the living room, I might, you know, my, my curiosity is going to get the best of me, and I'm going to, I might wander around a little bit, look under the bed, look in the end table, check out what's going on in this house. Makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? You know, we want to keep the guest in the, in, the, in the area where we can keep him confined. We don't want him exploring too much around the house. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit desires to explore around your house. Know ye not, ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He wants to explore around you so He can occupy all of you. And this is what being filled is all about. Being filled means He gets more of us. You can jot that down. Being filled means He gets more of us. The Holy Spirit is not spiteful or fickle. He indwells the believer at salvation. He does not leave. Now our sin grieves Him, but He is in us to bring us to repentance, point us to Christ, and continue the work of what? Sanctification. Remember we talked about last week, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the Holy Spirit working in us. How does that look? How do you know the Holy Spirit is working on you? Remember the old song, He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. Remember that song? No, some of you know it, do you? He's been working on me to make me what I ought to be. That's what he's doing. He's working on us continually. How does that look and how does that feel? Jeremiah had a vision of God as a, as a, as a potter. He said, come, let's go down to the potter's house. What do, what do potters do? They mold. They mold the clay. They mold the clay. The Word tells us that there are many vessels in the house of God. There are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. In other words, God is making us into a vessel. And the potter molds the vessel to contain something, doesn't he? He's molding you to contain something. Now as the potter, it's what I call potter's pressure points. Potter's pressure points. All of us have pressure points that the potter is working on. These are areas of our life that he's trying to get to, to mold. We call it conviction. A prerequisite to being filled with the Spirit is, is, is embracing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So the potter is molding and he's making you. What is he doing? He's increasing your capacity, which creates the needs for continued fillings of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not just enough to have this third experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We must continually be filled because He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He's forming and making us. And our capacity grows where we can contain more of what He wants to do in us. Does that make sense? It's called conviction. He's working out the hard spot. That's why Paul is clear when he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. After Pentecost, we are told in numerous places that believers were filled ongoingly with the Holy Spirit. It is here, really, we come to what Ephesians 5 is talking about, be filled with the Spirit. Acts 13.52 says, And the disciples were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually. It was never meant to be a one-time experience, and that was it. 
Remember I told you last time some of the mistakes in the Pentecostal charismatic movements is we get transfixed on this one experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we like recall, oh, I remember back when that happened to me. And we kind of cite it and we build a memorial to that one time experience. And we're always going back to that. That's not what it was meant to be for. It may have launched you forward into many continued fillings of the Holy Spirit because the potter is hitting different pressure points in all of our lives, sanctifying us, making us more Christ-like, than that we can give more of ourselves fully to Him. Does that make sense? They were continually being filled. And we see it throughout Scripture. Just a, just a few examples. We find Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit as he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7. We find in Acts 9 that Paul was filled with the Spirit. We find out in Acts 12, this dude by the name of Barnabas was said to be faithful and full of the Holy Spirit. Always being filled. But we're knowing, we've got to know that the filling of the Spirit is always wrapped up in relationship with Him. Got that? It's always wrapped up in this thing called relationship. Relationship is the enemy of religion. Religion is the enemy of relationship. Religion seeks to squelch, destroy, and quench relationships with Jesus. When you do any kind of study of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you study the three years of ministry, the ministry of Jesus. Who did he have the problems with? Religious people. That was the problem. He didn't have problems with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. No, he's Zacchaeus, I want, to go to, I want to go to your house. He ran into problems with the religious people. All the time. So religion ultimately is our enemy. It robs us of, the, of this beautiful relationship with the Holy Spirit. Relationship. So to be filled, that we're not being filled with a liquid or some nebulous force, this ripple in the force. I hear some people refer to the Holy Spirit like it's some kind of a, we're like we're like a Jedi Knight or something like that, and and we're and we're surrounded by these you know whatever they are, milli somethings and others. You know, it's no, he is a person, not a force, not an energy force. So we're not only being filled, we're being filled with a person. And more is to say that you're not, if you're being filled with a person, you're being influenced by that person. My wife has a controlling influence over me. Not in a bad way, because she's not a controlling person. But my love for her and desire to please her controls much of what I do. Where I go, the decisions I make, the goals I strive for. I am full of her, right? I am full of my wife. Because I'm allowing her to influence me. She is my desire and she is my love. And because of that, much of what I do is in consideration of her. Notice I say love and desire. Love and desire is the motive in the relationship. Is it possible to be married with the absence of love and desire? Oh, yes. You can be married and have the absence of love and desire. Just like you can know Jesus and have no love and desire in your life for more of Him. Just like you can be married without love and desire. Love and desire is the key that holds the whole thing together. It's possible to be married with the absence of love and desire. Yes. Sad. And many Christians know Jesus as their Savior, but there's no love and desire. It's the, it's the absence of passion. The Holy Spirit comes in. And who does the Holy Spirit always point us back to? Jesus. Jesus. He's all about Jesus. That's who the Holy Spirit's always pointing to. See, this comes much closer to describing what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5. Not some static formula, but a dynamic and purposeful relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, Paul was not condemning wine here as much as he's trying to illustrate just as alcohol influences our life, we are, if you are arrested for a DUI, what does that mean? You're driving under the influence. He said, don't be influenced just by alcohol, right? Be influenced by who? The Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be under His influence. Just as a sidebar here, 
alcohol will seize the control of your faculties. The Holy Spirit does not. A relationship with the Holy Spirit is yielding. It is never a hostile takeover. One of the mistakes sometimes in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, you see these people having this experience with God, I just, I just can't help it. Anytime somebody says they can't help it, you know something's going on there that's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. There's some flesh involved and maybe even some demonic involved. You can always help it. When the Holy Spirit moves in us, it is never a hostile force. We must always yield. We must always cooperate. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We're always yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit because it's relationship, isn't it? Love and desire is born out of yieldedness and cooperation, not out of hostility and force. It's a relationship. This person, the Holy Spirit, can be grieved. He can be quenched, just like your wife or your husband or your kids can be grieved, and they can be quenched, and they can be provoked to wrath. As the Bible admonishes, don't provoke your kids to wrath. It's, a, it's about preserving the relationship with this beautiful person called the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense? We must yield. We must cooperate. We must chase after Him. So how do you know if you're under the increasing influence or filling of the Holy Spirit. We we'll always ask these questions. Well, how do you know? That's one, of the, that's one of the big questions, right? How do you know I got it? Because I can say Mitsubishi should have bought a Honda. Oh, you got it. <laughs> now, do I really want to make the whole litmus test for being filled with the Spirit just because I can utter sounds and syllables that aren't a language? Now, that's important, but that's, there's way more going on than only that. And we'll get back to that in a moment. But no, how do you know? How do you know if you're under the increasing influence or filling of the Holy Spirit? Are you ready? Two things. Jot these down. Character and charisma. Those are the two things. That's how you know you're under the influence and filling of the Holy Spirit. Character and charisma. The first one is character. What is character? Christ-likeness. In other words, if you're being filled with the Spirit, you're becoming more like Jesus. That's how it works. It's called fruits. Fruits, gifts, and the goodness of God. The fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of who? The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, the Holy Spirit's way more after fruit than He is gifts. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to be holy, like Jesus. It's a character thing. Fruits grown, gifts are given. Got that? Fruits are grown, gifts are given. Fruits, you got to dig in there. you gotta, you got to allow the potter to do some things in you for fruit to come forth in your life. I would much rather see fruit than I would see gifts. But the good news is we don't have to choose. It's not either or. It's and, both, and more. You don't have to choose. We get it all. Character to charisma. Charisma just simply means gift. Grace gift is all the word charisma means. So are you a charismatic? I hope you are. It means the movement of the grace of God through your life. I'm a charismatic. Absolutely. I want the grace of God to move through my life with gifts. Romans 12, 6 through 8, we have this beautiful list. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. We have a, another list given in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. The filling is something in which the believer is a very much a participant in. In other words, both of these things require our participation in. The character and the charisma. Notice here, in this passage, Paul was not asking us to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Or to wait. Or to do, He says, like command, be filled with the Spirit. That is something we are actively engaging in. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time when you prayed that you, you said, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. I receive. I make myself available to all that you desire to do. It's a, it's a command and we have something to do. We have a, we have a part to play in this. Ephesians 5.18b 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to pursue this filling constantly. We are to be perpetually filled by virtue of our unwavering pursuit of Him. That's how this thing works. Or you're going to always memorialize your relationship with Jesus. It'll never be fresh. It'll never be fresh. Don't, your relationship with Christ is not a, not a memorial to something that happened to you on some pew 60 years ago or 20 years ago or, a, or at an altar call. Thank God for those experiences. But God's a right now God. He lives in the moment. There is, no, there is no future. There is no past with God. He lives and He exists in the eternal now. You realize that, don't you? God exists outside of the space-time continuum, right? He exists in the eternal now. Past, present, and future for God is all now for Him. God's a now God. One of the things that Peter, after Pentecost, when he begun to proclaim and said, this is that which the prophet Joel talked about as he's speaking to Jewish people who knew the book of Joel and the prophet, as he pointed back and said, this is what Joel was talking about. And one of the things that he said, that this Holy Spirit has come, that we can have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I love that word, refreshing. What's that word mean? It's not just enough to be fresh, but we got to be refreshed. Several Years ago, we got a new dryer. And you know what this dryer has? It has a refresh setting, right? That you can, you can take your clothes and you can put it in the dryer and you can put it on refresh. You have to go through the whole cycle of washing again. It can just be refreshed. And it starts squirting water and then the steam hits it. And man, you just runs around for about five, six minutes and you pull out your shirt. And guess what? It's been refreshed. It's ready for another wear. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit does. That's what He does in us. He refreshes us. Can I ask you a question? How often do you need to be refreshed? I'm just wondering, how often do you need to take a shower? I've walked around some of you. Some of you need more than, you are, are, than you're getting. Refreshing was not meant to be when some evangelist comes in once a year in a polyester suit and his hair slicked all back like that and gives a series of mex- uh, messages and calls backsliders to repentance. Oh, I was refreshed last year. No, man, this is something that happens continually with us, ongoing. The Holy Spirit's ever moving. Does He ever take a nap? Does He ever go on vacation? No. Even while you're sleeping, the Holy Spirit's active. He's active inside of you in our unwavering pursuit of Him. Romans encourages us. 1 Corinthians encourages us to, to, to seek these spiritual gifts, to eagerly pursue them. Now, I maintain... And I believe the spiritual weakness that many Christians seem to convey so often is a manifestation of the failure to continually seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why we get so lethargic. That's why we get so weak. We're not continuing to press into these ongoing fillings and, and, and times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. How was the Apostle Paul able to do what he did? How can we just get up and go back into the city? The Spirit of God is enabling him to do these things. Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, but most of us don't even have an inkling of what that means in the church, sadly. How do, pre- how do preachers often teach this passage in Ephesians 5? You know what they do? They only address the alcohol issue. Right there. They just, they just preach against alcohol. And they really miss the whole point of the passage. Paul was not preaching against alcohol here. He really wasn't. He was, he was preaching against getting Drunk, but he was using alcohol as a point to make a message. He was actually drawing a similarity between the two. But come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but yet we know that passage only about alcohol. And that's not even the point of the passage. The point of the passage is about the Holy Spirit, yet many of us are so ignorant to that. So what are we generally taught? We are generally taught in the church that the Holy Spirit baptizes us at salvation, that He points us to Christ, that He brings to our remembrance the things we've learned, and that's about it. And there's way more to this person of the Holy Spirit than just those things. We need to be willing to lay aside our fundamentalist paranoia. We need to be able to admit that the Scripture teaches clearly there's an experience with the Spirit beyond conversion. We've got to get a hold of that. Don't get lost in semantics and religion and formulas. There is an experience with the Holy Spirit beyond conversion. Subsequent to, after, following up with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just once. It's an ongoing experience. Now you can argue it all you want to, but you'll be hard-pressed to make any substantial biblical case that the Holy Spirit's not actively wanting to possess more and more of you. 
It's all through this book. Don't get bogged down in the details. The Holy Spirit wants more of you, and it's our job to yield to Him for that to happen. We need to be willing to lay aside our charismania as crazy charismatics and admit that the Holy Spirit is much more than a good feeling, a catharsis, and then we go home and feel good. It's much more than that. It's much more than any one particular gift of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is the kind of experience you have with the most significant person in your life. When you seek them out every day because you want to increase their influence in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Do you have people like that you like to be around because you want to increase their influence in your life? I do. I'm enjoying being with my wife now more than ever. Because we just went through a long seven years of caregiving and now we got time on our hands. And Renee, we're going on dates, like you and your wife go on the canoe and stuff at the lake. Man, it's great, isn't it? I mean, listen, I mean, I mean I'm just falling in love with my wife all over again. Because we're just like, because I want to be around her. And I think she actually might want to be around me. And it's like, wow, we actually, this is like we're dating again, honey. So I have the energy level we used to, but you know, this is, this is fun. That's what, that's what this is about. It's about seeking to be around the person that you want to influence you the most. The only thing that keeps any of us from being a strong force for God in ministry and service ultimately is our own choices. What are we going to do with this person called the Holy Spirit? How are we going to react to Him? Many of us, we only go so far. We surrender just so much of ourselves and say no more. I'll go this far, but no further. Man, that's what happened. I used to do a lot more counseling than I do today. Because you know what I found out about counseling? In particular, marriage counseling. Man, when I first got into ministry, I, I thought I could just say that for marriage. I could swoop in as super pastor. I pull my shirt back, dun, 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 swoop right in, sit down to the couple. They're fighting each other back and forth, and I'm right in the boxing match. I'm like that referee, man. Get them off each other. We're going we're gonna to solve all these issues. And, and man, I'd be three and a half hours. I'd come home so beat up and bruised. They thought we made some accomplishment. And guess what? Didn't do any, didn't do any good. And finally, I realized the place. At Somewhere along the way, I realized that all you guys want to do is fight each other. Finally, I just, I've got to where I said, you know, are you saved? Are you, are you born again? This has nothing to do with your wife. This has nothing to do with your husband. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit right now. If you're not willing to get baptized in the Spirit right now, I don't want to even talk to you anymore. Because your issue is not with her or him. Your issue is with God. Now, if you're willing to get right with him, then we can work on stuff. You see what I'm saying? In other words, the Holy Spirit desires to do a great work inside of us, but we got to reckon with this incredible man who wants to occupy more and more of us, but we got to choose to be able to do it. Remember last week we, we read Hebrews uh, chapter 6, and we talked about the elementary teachings. And we, and we talked about unless you get these six things down, God will red card you. He said, if you don't get this baptisms down, you can't ever move on to maturity. we got to get this right or we can never move on. We have to engage this person of the Holy Spirit. This is what Christ calls us to as believers, to be so consumed by Him that our self is lost in His will. That's what this person of the Holy Spirit is all about. Let me give you just things. I want to take time for a couple of, couple of questions at the end. Some, some, some steps on being continually fill with the Spirit. So what does, this, what does this mean? I'm not going to sit up here and, and tell you to be filled with the Spirit. You have to speak in tongues. I cannot tell you that. But I can tell you if you're not willing to, you'll never be filled with the Spirit. There's a big difference, isn't it? Have to versus willing to. If you put any parameters on what God wants to do in your life, you don't love the Holy Spirit in slices. Amen. Lord, I want this part of the pie, but I don't want this part of the pie. I will never tell you you have to speak in tongues, but I will tell you if you're not willing to, you'll never come into the fullness of Him. Because all the gifts are in the Spirit. The Spirit is all, he, he, is a, he is a package deal, right? You don't come to God and negotiate. Can you imagine trying to negotiate with the King of Kings? Do you think that's really what you want to do? Coming into the throne of God and say, oh, by the way, let's, let's negotiate a better deal here. God doesn't negotiate with us, does He? We don't enter into diplomatic relationships with the king of the universe. That's not how he operates. The Holy Spirit is God. Let's not forget who he is. He is God. 
And you don't come to God and say, I want, listen, I want this and this, but I don't want that, I don't want that. Uh-uh. I want everything that you have, Lord. All that you have. Steps on being continually filled. Number one, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. If we don't recognize, we can't continue just to sin and expect God to bless what we're doing. We've got to have a concern for righteousness. The Holy Spirit wants to make us holy. He's referred to the Holy Spirit holy. He's not just spirit. He's Holy Spirit. He wants us holy. Number two, confess your sin to God. How do you do that? Confess. Repentance is not a, not a one-moment one thing, man. I repent many times throughout the day, don't you? You should be. That's the potter's pressure points on our life, right? He's convicting us of sin. Lord, forgive me of this and, and sanctify me more. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must be empty and clean in order to be filled. Do you believe that? Empty and clean to be filled. Lord, clean me up, clean me up, clean me up, fill me up, clean me up, fill me up. That's how the process works. Don't ask God to fill you up if you're not willing to be cleaned up. See, that's part of the problem in some of the Pentecostal charismatic tribe and camp. We're more concerned with being filled up than we are being cleaned up. There's no room for that. The Holy Spirit wants to clean you up, not just fill you up. Those things, too, go hand in hand. Character and charisma march together. It's not one at the expense of the other. They go together. Lord, clean me up, fill me up. Number three, seek to live every moment in the kingdom of God. To live every moment as a citizen of heaven, not just a citizen of earth. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know this, Matthew 6, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. A.W. Tozer once said, every man is just as spiritual as he wants to be. It's a great statement, isn't it? It's all based on love and desire. You can have as much as you want. Number four, make every effort to respond positively to the guidance and speaking of the Spirit deep within. Make every effort to respond affirmatively to the guidance and speaking of the Spirit deep within. He's always speaking to you. He's always speaking to me. Sometimes it's, he's a very annoying. You know, he can be annoying. It's called conviction. None of us always like it, but he's always speaking, always saying, let's work on this, let's do this. Because when we quit responding positively to the Holy Spirit, we begin to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. What, is, what does it mean to quench something? It means if I walk up to my wife and she's saying something I don't, I don't want to hear, I, 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 I put my hand over her mouth and say, I don't want to hear that. Do you think that's really wise? That's wrong at many different levels. Dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing. She has sharp teeth. <laughs> you don't quench the voice of the most influential person in your life. How crazy is that? Isn't that crazy? To quench the voice of the most important person in your life? I've done that before to my wife when I didn't want to hear what she had to say, and I went off doing my own thing, and oh, that did come back to bite me. And she was right. We quench the Holy Spirit when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. He's a person. How do you respond to people who don't listen to you? I'm just curious. How do you respond to a person who, do, who, who ongoingly chooses not to listen to you? What do you, what do, you do? You withdraw, don't you? You know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to stand over here and just be quiet. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit is quenched. We constrict His voice. And you know what? He said, all right, I'll just sit here. You're going to come back to me. I'm going to wait patiently. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. For whoever wants to save their life, Luke 9, 24, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Number five, ask God to pour His Spirit into your life so that you might receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
man, you're now in a great position to experience the filling and abundant life and living waters of the Spirit when you begin to do these things and you begin to ask God. He wants you to ask Him. Do you think God wants to be asked? I mean, as a dad, I love for my kids to ask me for something, especially if I can give it to them. That's a great thing. Don't we want to do, do things for our kids? That's a natural thing, isn't it? God loves to do things. Jesus said, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? Luke eleven thirteen. 13, will our loving Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Because God loves to give. What does he, who does He want to give? The Holy Spirit to them that ask. We have not because we ask not. Ask. Clean me up, fill me up. Please don't say fill me up without clean me up. Clean me up, Lord. Fill me up, Jesus. Number six, leave the results to Him. Leave the results to Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. He decides it, not you. If you decide for Him, that's a problem. That's why you can never say, I won't do this or I won't do that. You yield yourself to everything the Holy Spirit desires to do. You never take ownership of the gifts. They are always owned by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, you do not ever take possession of that gift. To take possession of a gift means that you have control of it. I don't have control. In other words, God has used me in the gift of the word of knowledge before. I know He has. I don't have it all the time. Lost my keys just the other day and I didn't have it. <laughs> Couldn't find them anywhere. Lord, where's that word of knowledge? I had it yesterday. I, no, because the Holy Spirit maintains control of the gifts all the time. We don't have, He is the one who brings them out of us when He chooses to. But we have to expect and be open to all the gifts He wants to use in us, every single one of them. This isn't going through with little you know, shopping carts say, oh, I want this one, I want that one, I don't, I don't want that one. No, this is not how it works. But here's the, here's, the, here's the funny thing. Isn't it ridiculous? I've often used this example. Can you imagine on Christmas morning? I remember Christmas morning. It was so much fun as a kid coming downstairs and all these great gifts. Can you imagine how absurd it would be to wake up on Christmas morning and to come downstairs and see all the presents as a nine-year-old kid and say, eh, I just, I just want that one. They're all wrapped up, the beautiful gifts. And you just say, I want that, but not that one. What do you do? What do, what do kids do when gifts are given? What do you do? Do you, go, do, you, do, you, do you run down there and say, well, uh, I'll open them next year. I'll just, let's just wait on that. I've got too much. My closet's already too full. I, got, I have plenty of toys. I don't want any more. Now, what do you do, man? You just tear into them. You tear into the gifts, right? Now, we're all different. My kids were drastically different on Christmas morning. Drastically different. For example, Matthew would run down, and he would be tearing through them. He didn't even see what one gift was before he opened the other one. He's tearing through them. Now, Michael, he'd sit down, he'd open up one, he'd take it out, he'd look at it, he'd admire it from different angles, he'd put it together, set it off the side, open up another one. That just, they're opening all the gifts, but we all do it a little bit differently, don't we? Some people, when you go to the buffet, some people just dive in head first. You know, it's like one pig waits for the other. I mean, we're going to jump right in, we're going to cram it all in. But some people just go to the buffet, all this, and they're just getting all of it, but they're eating it at their pace and their time, but they're eating, eating everything. We're all different. We're all different. But we should be pursuing all the gifts and be open to every single one of them. Now, let me give you some hermeneutic methodology here, right? When you read the book of Acts, we have a method of study, right? We see patterns. We see patterns. Every time there was a filling of the Holy Spirit, almost every time. And one was Simon the Sorcerer, we're not really sure, but something happened that people noticed. All right? But pretty much every time there was a verbal there was something verbal that happened every time. They either spoke in tongues, they prophesied both, they, or they declared the word boldly. So something needs to happen. I tell people, say, how do you know if I've, if I've ever been filled with the Spirit? Well, if you don't know, you haven't. That's the best I can tell you, you know, right? I'm not sure if that's happened to me before. Well, you better keep seeking, brother. You know, keep on seeking, keep on asking God. It's no accident that in the upper room, they prayed for 10 days. It didn't happen in 10 minutes. 
They held out. They kept praying. They kept seeking. They kept getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. And at some point their hunger was palatable, right? And God says, oh, now they're ready. Right? And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for me. But I can tell you something. If you have not come into the experience, the third experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you're not sure if you've had that initial kind of launch into the Spirit-filled life that the baptism in the Holy Spirit affords you, that's kind of what it is, right? It's like when you, it's like when you, first, get in the, it's like when you first get in the pool, right? You just kind of dive in, don't you? And then you're in the pool, then you've got to swim and you know, navigate it. But if you haven't had that, if you've not, been, you've not jumped in the pool yet, jump in. And, you, and you'll know when you get there. There's no mistaking when jumping into the pool. There's a big difference in being on dry land versus being in the deep end. You're going to know, right? You don't have to figure out if you're in the pool or out of the pool, do you? You're going to know, right? The folks that were filled with the Spirit, if, if you had to ask them, they knew. They knew they had, they had experienced this incredible person called the Holy Spirit. And they had been introduced to the Spirit-filled life and were set on an amazing journey. So can I tell you, my friends... Some of you have been eating well-done steaks for most of your Christian life. And I tell you, I would love for you, I would love for you to get a medium rare steak, right? I would love for you to experience and come into the fullness of the Holy Spirit because you will never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. Are you going to heaven? Yes. But let's have fun getting there, right? Oh my gosh. Let's have fun getting there. Let me leave you with this thought. I apologize, no time for questions today, but I want to I, I want to end with this. And you can turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is what God wants to do. 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's an interesting story. David, through some challenges and lessons along the way has finally got the ark back to Jerusalem. Then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the sea, this is verse 16, to the city of David, that Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord, and set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, and blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, look what he's doing. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both of them, women and men, a cake of bread and one of the dates and of the raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. But when David returned to bless his household, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today, spitefully. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants, maids, as one of the foolish, foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father Saul and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will be more lightly esteemed, or some versions undignified, than this, and will be humble in my own eyes, but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Why did I read that? Because David, as a type of Christ, as a type of Christ, was coming to bless his own household. Bless his own household. But yet his own household, Michal, despised it. And as a result, she bore no children. Jesus desires, has come to bless his own household with the Holy Spirit. But sadly, many like Michal, have despised this great gift that Jesus wants to bestow upon his church. And as a result, many bear so little fruit in their life because of that. Michal was the bride, yeah, but she never bore much fruit. Let's not despise the Holy Spirit. 
man, let's welcome him. Let's pursue him. Let's seek him. Let's ask him to fill us. Some of you are wondering right now, what must I do? What must I do? Can I tell you, can I just encourage you? When you get home tonight, I want you to do something. When you get home tonight, find a spot in your house. Turn Fox News out, all right? Turn Fox News off for a little while, all right? Go up to your bedroom and say, Jesus, clean me up, fill me up. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And you know what I tell people to do when they're praying? I just say, you know what, just, just open your mouth and begin worshiping God in English. Just say, Lord, I love you, Jesus. I praise you and I thank you. And Lord, you just, wanna, you just, want, you just want to do something in me. And take a little step of faith. It sounds kind of stupid. But it was, it was what they told me to do when I was 12 years old and it worked. They said, just open your mouth and begin to worship God, but don't do it in English. Just like a little child learns to speak, just start, just start speaking. And I don't know how it works. I, I don't know the mystery of the whole thing. But it, it just sometimes works. And if it doesn't happen like you think it's going to happen, well, go back again tomorrow night and the next night. And just keep seeking. Just keep seeking. And something in the seeking sometimes, God's perfecting things in all of us. And then you're going you're gonna to be surprised when Jesus just sneaks up behind you and pushes you right into the pool. And you're going to say, oh my gosh. Then you'll be declaring, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Amen.